Well, we've come to the conclusion of our time together in the Psalms. This is the last week of our current series, Summer Psalms for Spiritual Renewal. And as we, as a church, have been resting in the prayer book of Scripture, this summer our pastor, Jeremy Deck, has been seeking rest and renewal on sabbatical. And now his great return is nigh. Next week, we are delighted and we eagerly anticipate the return of Pastor Jeremy, his wife Amy, and the family. And we so look forward to welcoming them back. As we do that next week, we will also be starting a new series, Studying the Book of Zechariah. So today, as we draw to our conclusion in our time with the Psalms, I want to take a moment to express gratitude. Thanks to God, as I've experienced personally, I've heard from others, and trust that God has used these psalms to bless, to renew, to strengthen our community and the love for Jesus. He's been kind to us these past several weeks. These past several weeks together, we've heard from selections from the collection of the 150 psalms of the prayer book of Scripture. And as we've heard, these psalms are a great source to grow in learning language with which to communicate and to commune with God. It's important to note that the psalms include a great diversity in genre as well as emotion from anger, what we sometimes call imprecatory psalms to psalms of lament over sorrow and tragedy, to trusting psalms, where the psalmist clings to God despite trials and difficulties in life, to psalms of thanksgiving, to psalms of worship and praise. Interesting to note, too, that the overall structure and the composition of the psalms as we have them in our Bible, they move in a pattern, generally speaking, from lament to praise, finishing with continual calls to praise God. Our psalm today is in this last section, which is called Book 5 of 5 in the Psalms. And as far as genre goes, it's one we consider as wisdom. Another way to capture the emotive side of wisdom is to categorize it as a psalm for peace and wholeness. One final consideration concerning structure and genre, it's vital to know that as we approach our text this morning, we just heard read so well for us, Psalm 112 is a continuation of the psalm that directly precedes it, Psalm 111. In Psalm 111, the psalmist declares and beholds God and His good works. Psalm 112 then turns to God's people. Individuals who behold God. These two psalms are similar both in form and content. Both are acrostic poems, meaning each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. They are also similar in content. Both psalms begin the same way, praise to the Lord. And Psalm 112 picks up where Psalm 111 leaves off with the fear of the Lord. And so as we look at 
Psalm 112 this morning. I encourage us to keep an eye also on Psalm 111. And it's significant that one, these psalms do go together. And secondly, the order that they're in matters. This morning, here's where we're headed. Trusting the Lord's leading. The good life begins with a renewed heart, a moment-by-moment dependence upon God for right thoughts, for right behavior, and right desire. Another name for this is the righteous life, a life of spiritual renewal. Verse 1 of our psalm begins to show us this. In the following verses, verses beginning in 2 through 9 primarily, we'll see both the real and the ideal of the life of God's people. And uh, for those who appreciate outlines, the psalmist lists here, we'll, we'll categorize them in five points. The psalmist lists going through, walking through this psalm. Number one, speaks to family and wealth. Secondly, character amidst, amidst diverse adversity. Thirdly, generosity and justice. Fourthly, steadfastness and trust. And then finally, as the psalm culminates in the last couple of verses, it extends into eternity. And so the fifth point, identity and destiny, verses 9 and 10. This psalm does have much to offer us, I believe. And at Gospel Life Church, our mission statement is to root all of life in the good news of Jesus for his glory and the city's good. So Psalm 112, in a sense, is a very direct way for us to see our mission statement lived out. My prayer for gospel life in this new season, as summer ends, as the calendar turns to fall, As Pastor Jeremy and his family return from sabbatical, as new ministry initiatives begin, my prayer for us is that we would be a community that encourages one another in all things to believe more fully from moment to moment the good news of Jesus. And for us to then live in response generously. Verse 1, we begin, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. As an overriding verse, which the rest of the psalm flows out from, verse 1 sets the subject of the psalm as the man or woman who fears God. This individual is considered blessed. Another way to render this word would be happy. It's a joyful, emotional state. But it's certainly much more than that. For even when there is reason for this individual to experience other emotions such as sadness or anger, God still considers them blessed. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. As a hallmark of wisdom literature, wisdom as we see here, begins 
with the fear of the Lord. Now, we could categorize here two kinds of fear of God. There's a certain kind of fear of God, a sense of terror as one who might stand in opposition to a holy, almighty God. This is not necessarily the kind that the psalm is speaking to here. The other kind of fear of God in the Scriptures is more right awe and reverence and delight in God. Hear the words of one commentator. Not all fear is that of terror in the face of overwhelming and threatening circumstances. The fear of God may well include a recognition of the futility of human opposition to the divine, especially for those who are God's enemies. But for those who follow God, fear grows from the respect and honor of which God is worthy as God. Fear of God is so central to wisdom because it leads to right posture, right living before God. Listen to how Jason DeRoshi puts it. Fearing God is an intellectual and emotional recognition of who God is that results in right behavior. Your whole reality is defined by God's imminent and transcendent presence. The blessed man, as the psalmist says, is also one who delights in the Lord's commandments. And here's our first parallel, our first echo to Psalm 111. Great are the works of the Lord, study by all who delight in them. Psalm 111, verse 2. Because the works of the Lord are great, we are to delight in them. And so, too, we are to delight in His commandments. Delight is an expressive word, again, for joy and for pleasure. Think of the things that you delight in, the things that you probably desire you often partake in, you do, and probably you know a lot about whatever it might be. The fact that we are to delight in the Lord's commandments, this reveals explicitly the heart component of desire. Not only are we to know God's commandments, an intellectual component, not only also are we to do God's commandments, the behavioral component, we are to take delight in them and to desire to do them. But if we're honest, it doesn't take long for us while reading the Scriptures or having a moment of introspection to, real, to realize that our hearts so often do not feel this way. We so often don't truly take delight in God's instruction, even if we believe them, per se. The Scriptures make our heart problems very clear. Just consider the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, as we heard last week from Psalm 95. While wandering in the wilderness, their hearts were full of unbelief, and they tested God. They doubted His provision. Therefore, a whole generation did not enter into God's rest, into the land He promised. We share in that same problem. The problem, our own hearts. The way forward, God's grace. Here again from Psalm 111, 
as the psalmist recalls the grace of God towards his chosen people, specifically while in the wilderness. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them an inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful, just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. God sends redemption to his people. God acts. God rescues. God restores. And on how much higher ground, as we say, do we now stand to observe God and his grace than the Israelites or our psalmist? For we have now seen God sending and sacrificing his very own son in flesh and blood to secure salvation for us. The gospel, the good news of what God has done that we can never do for ourselves, when believed, renews the heart and transforms all of life, all of time. But we forget. Day after day, we need to be renewed in our belief. And when we live out of unbelief, that's when we can get into serious trouble. As the psalm teaches us, there are things that result from right belief and right desire, right things, behavior, that we need to do in this life. Doing is important. Good works are important. As a matter of fact, in James's words, Jesus' own younger brother, he would put it this way, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. But God's people, they don't begin with doing. They always begin with believing. Faith. Faith, this is success in God's kingdom. This is so important because simply put, if we begin with doing, we are doing in our own strength, in effort, and immediately for our own name. But if we begin with believing in God and His gospel, we will be doing in His strength and in His power for the glory of his name. Hmm. As we will see going through the psalmist list, it is the Lord who brings fruit through us in our lives by a believing heart. So let's start with belief. God has promised first to Israel and now to all descendants of Abraham who believe. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. My spirit I will put within you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he has given you a new heart? With 
this new heart, we are able to rightfully delight in and obey God's commandments to cherish and to walk closely with Him, to live the good life. How the fruit of the gospel grows in real time we'll see on display throughout the rest of this psalm. We'll see how the renewed heart leads to a transformed life in all things for all time. So we turn to verse 2 and 3, family life and wealth. We begin our examination here of the real and the ideal life of God's people. A renewed heart is a blessed heart. Here, verse 2, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. These are deep longings for parents, for their children to succeed, to be blessed. Notice, too, the word here, upright. This carries the theme from verse 1. This word upright refers to the state or condition of one's own heart, the internal life. For the one who has been given a new heart, who lives uprightly with integrity, his or her children, generally speaking, prosper. What what a gift. It goes well for children when their parents are godly. How does the fruit of a husband's renewed heart show up on the faces of his wife, his children. But we also realize when just scanning the realities of our world as well as searching the scriptures, and we should recognize this, that faith in Christ, living uprightly, does not guarantee success in family life or for wealth or prosperity as we'll continue on. This statement is made in the genre of wisdom, which means it does not guarantee, but generally when you walk humbly in obedience to God, when you live uprightly, things will go well with you and your family. You will establish a family culture, tradition, heritage to pass on to your children from generation to generation and so on, that they too might walk closely with the Lord and have a blessed life. What a privilege it is to be a parent. But again, this, this is no guarantee that it will go as so. The Lord's been teaching me recently as a new parent discovers Children are a gift from God, and ultimately they are in His hands and not our own. The psalm goes on. For the blessed person, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. This certainly sounds desirable. Wisdom leads to wealth, and wisdom also leads to proper handling of wealth. But again, there is no guarantee of material blessing. Thriving in this life for God's people. Hear from Charles Spurgeon on this, from his great work, The Treasury of David. 
Often, when gold comes in, the gospel goes out. But it is not so with the blessed man. Prosperity does not destroy the holiness of his family or the humility of his character. His character stands the test of examination, overcomes the temptations of wealth, survives the assaults of slander, outlives the afflictions of time, and endures the trial of the last day. The righteousness of a true saint endureth forever because it springs from the same root as the righteousness of God and is indeed the reflection of it. Flourishing in your walk with God leads to flourishing of all kinds in every area of life. Unless we mistake our flourishing as a result merely from our own skill, craftiness, strength, prudence, wits, God's word reminds us that it is otherwise. As God says in Deuteronomy, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. No matter how wealth is amassed, the means by which it is done is always a gift. The wealth that is built over generations. This isn't your own doing. The affluent society which you're born into. This isn't your own choosing. The talents, the time, the resources you have, they are all gifts given to you. God is the giver of all gifts. And we should appropriately be grateful Another way to say this might be we should rightfully fear God. Though with first glance at, at verses 2 and 3, we might come away thinking that blessedness, true happiness in life, comes hand in hand with relational and material rewards. True blessedness, however, happiness comes from a renewed heart made right by God. This we'll see even more so as the core throughout the next verses. We come to verse 4, character amidst adversity. From prospering families, generation to generation, wealth of household, these are seen as ideal for the life of those walking with God in this lifetime. However, the psalmist is not naive or disillusioned to believe the realities of walking in this fallen world. Verse 4 brings this out. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. The psalmist assures us there is darkness. There are trials. There are adversity in life which we'll see more to come. Becoming a Christian doesn't make all adversity in your life simply go away, but it does give you a reliable, trustworthy God to take your hand and walk with you. 
Amidst the darkness, the light of God, truth, joy of life, walking with him shines through the deepest darkness. No matter the circumstance, how hard, how painful they might be, the renewed heart remains held close by God. As the verse continues, glance again to Psalm 111 for a moment to recall the character of God. Here we see parallels while beholding God and His character. The Lord, verse 4, the Lord is gracious and merciful. The context of the rest of that psalm fills this out, and greater so the context of the Old Testament. But God's Word shows us His character through how He acts towards His people. Gracious, merciful. This is who our God is. And now the psalmist in 112 says the same about the man of God. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And this is true even when they are facing darkness, adversity. There will be times of both fortune, misfortune, abundance, scarcity, But yet, as the psalmist addresses, the most important reality is that of the inner life, your heart. Despite your current circumstances, what is the state of your inner life? How is your heart? As a pastoral remark, there's some here this morning that I might need to hear this, and I know that I need to hear this, and I need to keep reminding my own heart. Regardless of where you are at, true blessedness, happiness, the good life, does not come from material wealth and prosperity, or from freedom from darkness and adversity and trials in life. It comes from a right relationship with God. Walking with Him moment to moment in His love. Something that outside circumstances can never take away. True blessedness, the happy heart, cannot reside in things that can be taken away. True happiness and joy is so much better than what we often let our hearts believe. For the renewed heart, it understands that God's generosity is stunning. As Jason DeRosie puts it, the goodness of God gives the pure in heart. What he gives them is God himself which cannot be taken away and is infinitely more valuable and lasting than health and wealth. We get God himself, and he changes us completely, fully, and thoroughly. He instructs us in his word who he is and what he has done for us, and he invites us to believe 
and then also to imitate him. Throughout the scriptures, you see great importance put on the inner life, put on the heart. A famous proverb that, that runs parallel a lot of ways with our psalm this morning. You might be familiar. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths right. Also, one of the most pertinent passages in Scripture that I look to for a renewed heart Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. I encourage you to read that at some time today. But let me just read a bit from it here and now. God says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve your God with all your heart and with all your souls and to keep his commandments of the Lord. For the Lord your God is God, God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial, takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the sojourner, and giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Again, beginning and ending with fear of the Lord. Right thoughts, right desires, right belief, living before God and seeing his heart. We are invited to be transformed in his image. Believing in and knowing his love in our hearts. We are transformed. And we are invited to imitate both, both in his character and his conduct. For those who are with us, remember, remember our time in Ephesians. When Paul said this, be imitators of God. Therefore, as beloved children, walk in love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as fragrant, sacrificial offering to God. This leads us to verses 5 and 6. The renewed heart leads to a life of generosity and justice. Blessed man, a happy man with the right desire thinking and behavior in response to God is one who is generous and acts justly. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, verse 5, who conducts his affairs with justice. This begins when we first behold the generosity of God towards us. When we remember God's rich mercy for us in Christ who came to die for our sins that we would be forgiven. Him who, who rose from the grave conquering the last enemy to give us eternal life 
with him, who ascended into heaven and who sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us presently. God loves us to the extent that he gave his very own self for us. God is a self-giving God, Father, Son, Spirit. And he's given us his Spirit to commune with him, to be united in Christ. So when we reflect on the gospel and remember God's grand generosity, we are then freed to be generous to others. When we root our lives in the gospel of Jesus, it should benefit the whole city, as our mission statement says. We are free to give ourselves, just like God, to be generous with all that He has given us, our time, our treasure, our talents. And when we do so, we won't act out of greed. We won't act out of pride or selfishness or self-preservation. Rather, we will act justly. God is a God who acts justly, and it is important for us to dwell on what this means and what this means for us today. Again, we here have an echoing, a reverberation of the works of God in Psalm 111. Verse 7, the works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. In his book entitled Generous Justice, Tim Keller summarizes, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he is grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced. And at worst, he's not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. We see that God has a special heart for the poor, for the needy. We need to look no further than ourselves. While we were poor and needy, God pursued us and freely gave himself for us in sending Christ, his Son. Our salvation is a great testimony to the heart of God. And just as God has a heart for the poor and needy, so should we. Care for the needy, the vulnerable, the overlooked in our society is acting with justice. And to do this, we need to depend moment by moment on God to act with right belief, with genuine love for neighbor, to be present in the moments and the opportunities that God has placed us, to be led by His Spirit, to act generously and do justice. One crucial way we depend upon God is in prayer. And so, I just want to take this opportunity as a reminder. I invite you to join us 
after the service for our prayer meeting. We're going to be meeting in the back of the room here. And we're going to be praying over this psalm together. If you come, don't, don't feel pressured that you have to pray yourself, but we would love to have you there with us as we learn together how to pray the psalm in community and then to ask God for help. Ways to act with generosity and justice. From foster care to food pantries to visiting the elder to educational programs, there is no shortage of opportunities of good that can be done. How might God be leading you? How can we do good together as a church collectively? How can we as God's people be creative in doing good for those around us in the city? I'm so thankful for Ellie and Emma. They're deacons at Gospel Life Church overseeing the ministry of mercy. And they lead us so well in that it's a great opportunity for us to be led to meet tangible needs in our community, to live out with generosity. Uh, Some of the things that they're planning again for this upcoming year for all of us to to look forward to, to be mindful of uh, this fall, yard cleaning for seniors, uh, events like pre-Thanksgiving food drives, winter homeless kits, and other volunteer activities. Just a reminder of the ministry that is taking place. And we invite you to, to, to come and, and join that, that mercy ministry and all that's taking place within our church. As we reach the heart of this psalm, God raises a banner over his people, those renewed to live uprightly with him. The righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. And we'll have more to say on this later. As we turn to verses 7 and 8, steadfastness and trust are before us. Again, here we see the heart of God's people, the righteous, in our next verses on display. The renewed heart, as we see, stands firm and is steadfast. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph over his adversaries. When bad news comes, they will not be shaken. Again, there's this expectation that bad news will come our way. Have you heard bad news recently? How was your heart in that moment? How did you respond? We don't need to fear bad news because we we have and we know the good news. Now, this doesn't mean that the bad news that comes our way won't be sad, painful, costly. But we know God is on our side and He will make everything right in the end. And for the rightly tuned heart, having proper fear and reverence towards God, there is trust. Trust in the Lord who is sovereign, who is in control. 
No matter the news that comes our way, we trust in the promises of God. And we look to and we remember God's acts in history on our behalf, his people. No matter the bad news that we've experienced, God can sympathize. The Son of God, Christ, came into darkness, humbled himself into the form of a servant, and he suffered more than we know, bearing the wrath of God for sinners in our place. He cares about our suffering. God cares and he stepped in to provide for us. So no matter the darkness, no matter the bad news that we might have come our way, we have a great hope and undying love. God's comfort and provision steadies and strengthens the heart despite the trials. Think back to Psalm 63. Justin preached on trusting God through the desert. And as we heard those words, a great prayer for us, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Furthermore, the psalmist assures us that we will have adversaries in this life those who are against us. But the psalmist says the renewed heart does not need to fear. As Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The one who fears God, he will not fear man. He will be steadfast, secure, trusting the Lord until he looks upon his adversaries in triumph. And this triumph is not from their own doing. Christ the King has achieved victory for the righteous. And so the righteous, we wait. We wait for that day of vindication. And in the waiting, we need not fear the outcome. We need not get revenge and revenge or vengeance upon our adversaries. But we wait in such a way that we're freed to even love our enemies rather than despise and seek our own victory over them. Moment by moment, renew your heart and belief. Remind yourself of the gospel when it comes hard to love others. For once we were sinners, we were enemies of God. We have been reconciled and drawn near to God through the blood of Jesus. So right now we sit at his table in his kingdom under his lordship. And as the Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, as Paul preached on Psalm 110 recently, Jesus, Jesus is the sovereign king. And we will all meet him one day. And you will either fear him on that day of judgment as his adversary, or you will embrace him lovingly as your merciful priest as well as king. There are two options.
As we turn to verse 9 and 10, our last section, in echoing, expounding previously what we heard in the heart of generosity, verse 9 begins, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. This seems to be a defining characteristic of those who are upright in heart. God deeply cares about giving to the needy and the poor, just as God gave to us in our great need. As the psalm culminates then and concludes, it extends into eternity. It turns to destiny. The righteous, they endure forever. They're remembered forever. This chord has been struck throughout and provides the refrain of this hymn. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 3, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Verse 6, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 9, for the righteous, this means eternal life, dwelling with God. His horn, as the psalmist says, will be exalted in honor, a horn being a symbol for success, dignity. And verse 10 then shows us the alternative. For those identified as righteous, we then turn to the identity of the wicked. The final verse here in Psalm 112 reads, The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. When those who oppose God see his people's success, they become angry, and in their bitterness they melt or wither away. They seek success in this life, but ultimately it comes to nothing and their desires will perish. And so, as we conclude our time in this psalm and the psalms, I invite you to, to call back and to reflect on the first psalm, Psalm 1. That psalm which begins the collection of this in entirety in many ways establishes foundational themes for all of the psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 shows us, too, that there are two paths in this life path of righteousness, being in right standing before God, and the path of the wicked, those who oppose God. If we do not fear God, we will become the latter. And this is the hallmark, another one of wisdom literature. Ultimately, there are just two paths in life. And Psalm 112 shows us this as well. Jesus says it in his own way. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus, he invites you today to trust in him, and he will lead you on the path to life. In a moment, as we respond to God, 
with our hearts through song. These words will be on our lips. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home, and day by day, moment by moment, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. May it be true of us today, tomorrow, and the day after. May we, Gospel Life Church, be renewed day by day as the light of the gospel of Jesus shines on our hearts to see clearly the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To live the good life, we cannot rely on our own strength or goodness. Rather, we must be renewed day after day. And He will renew you. He will transform our lives to bring us joy, to grow us, to act generously with justice. We must rely on the good news which shows us the person who is good, whose name is Jesus. Let us turn to him directly now to ask for help. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask for a right heart. Would you tune our hearts to delight in your word, to desire to commune with you? Father, we ask to be renewed this morning. Would you grant us belief now in your Son to live moment by moment, bearing fruit for your kingdom? Shape our hearts to be like yours, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.